Greetings, and welcome to the Continental Drift, musings, observations, and reflections on life here on the European continent. I'm Andy Valver. I've been on hiatus for a while, goofing off, playing golf, and I wasn't sure what I was doing with this weekly column-slash-podcast. But Europe is an endlessly fascinating place, and there's a lot to talk about. So, what the heck? This week, we celebrated VE Day here. That's short for Victory in Europe Day, which marked the end of the Second World War in Europe in 1945. And of course, the irony is, is that there is a land war going on in Europe as we speak. So, it's kind of hard to call it a Victory Day. Maybe a better way to refer to it would be to call it a BFW Day or a Break from War Day. We can legitimately celebrate a break from war until, of course, there is another one. And, like the swallows returning to Capistrano, you know there will be another war here in Europe. And there was. The Balkan conflicts in the 90s reignited fighting on the continent. Europe, of course, has known nothing but conflict for nearly 2,000 years. It was big business. Although, we finally did learn our lesson. And other than that little Balkan conflict, we've been war-free for more than 75 years. Until now. Now, we're sending tanks and munitions to Ukraine to help the Ukraines fight our old, quote-unquote, allies, the Russians. VE Day is a bigger holiday here in Europe than it is in the U.S., which is surprising because the Americans played a big part in helping end the war here in Europe. But... It's not celebrated much there. Here in France, VE Day is a holiday. And it's a holiday in most European countries. And everything shuts down. So I was surprised when I got a phone call from my German agent on VE Day. She was working. Apparently, it's not much of a holiday over in Germany. I was reminded of another conflict earlier this week when I had lunch at a 13th century chateau built by the British king Edward II when England ruled the area of France known as the Aquitaine. France and England, of course, are no strangers to conflict, the most famous of their conflicts being the One Hundred Years' War, which actually lasted 116 years, but apparently they rounded down. And besides, a Hundred Years' War rolls off the tongue much easier than the Hundred and Sixteen Years' War just doesn't have the same ring. Imagine being at war for a hundred years. Boggles the mind. But that's what they did back then. Going to war and fighting was considered a manly thing to do. Mostly, it was idiotic men. Leaders, a lot of whom were royalty, flexing their egos. And how did they flex their egos? They sent millions of peasants to die. Good thing that doesn't happen anymore and that we have learned from our mistakes. Oh, right. We haven't. Speaking of kings, the reason I was at the chateau for lunch was that the host, a French gentleman, invited a group of local Brits and me, the token Yank, over for what was called a coronation lunch and included a dish known as coronation chicken. More on that in a bit. Now, I didn't really watch the coronation in its entirety. 
But I do watch Sky News, the British news network, and, of course, it was a very big deal. So they kept showing it over and over. Now, it's not very often that we get to see a British monarch crowned. For most people, it happens once in a lifetime. And that's probably a good thing. I mean, it really seemed like some sort of movie musical. Now, I know that the monarchy is very popular in some segments of English society, but seeing pictures of King Charles wearing the golden robes and wearing the Michael Jackson glove on one hand, holding an orb and a scepter, you know that somewhere Liberace would have looked at that and said, it's a bit over the top. Watching a coronation in 2023 is kind of like watching a witch doctor trying to cast the demons out of someone suffering from allergies. There's a lot of ritual and many colorful incantations, which all lead to the person being the same person they were when they walked in the door. Anyway, say what you will, it was a triumph for the queen consort, Camilla, a stirring example of patience. Indeed, we could all learn from Camilla. And that is, if you spend enough time on your knees, you get to wear the crown. And as for coronation chicken, that is an interesting dish. It's chicken, kind of curried a little bit, served on rice, cold. I saw the dish. It was sitting on the sideboard. It had been out for a while. And I thought to myself, that's going to get cold really quick. Ha! It was already cold. I'm not really sure what the British were trying to tell me with that. Apparently, it was the dish served at Queen Elizabeth's coronation. Maybe it was a cold thing. They didn't have enough cold to warm it up. I don't know. Speaking of ritual and pomp, Saturday night is the finals of the Eurovision Song Contest. For those of you not familiar with this contest or spectacle, it's kind of like a musical thunderdome. Many go in, only one comes out. On a simpler level, it's kind of like Europe's Got Talent. And boy, does Europe have a lot of strange talent. It's musical nationalism. It's a kind of duel to the death, but it beats a war. Anyway, the way it works is there are contests in each country, local qualifiers, if you will, to pick a group, singer, or band to represent the country at the Eurovision Song Contest. Now, with a title like Eurovision, you would think that in order to qualify, you have to be in the European Union, or at least somehow attached to the European continent, or at least be able to see Europe if you stand on a box. Nope, not today. When it started, though, back in 1956, there were seven countries involved. Originally, you had to sing in your native language, which was interesting, but not very commercial. That rule went away eventually. Today, the Eurovision Song Contest has 60 countries represented from around the world. Not very European, but, you know, it says a lot about Europe's inclusiveness. And it really is a free-for-all. Now, if you've ever watched the show or the process of elimination, it's truly amazing what passes for entertainment in the world. Perusing the past winners, there have been some great titles. 
1975, the Netherlands won with a song called Ding-a-Dong. In 1969, Lulu won with a song called Boom Bang a Lang. And in 1991, Sweden won with a song called Fungad av en Stormwind, a title that just screams top 40, doesn't it? There have, however, been some notable winners. ABBA won in 1974 with their song Waterloo. Katrina and the Waves won in 1997 with Love Shine a Light. And in 2014, a singer wearing a beautiful gown and a beard won. Yes, I'm talking about the Austrian drag queen Conchita Wurst and her song Rise Like a Phoenix. Yes, the contest was won by a drag queen. And did anyone bitch about a drag queen here in Europe? Did anybody bitch about a drag queen winning? Did anybody bitch about a drag queen on television? No. And you know why? Because we have better things to do with our time. Anyway, the finals are Saturday night in Liverpool, a town in northern England, notable for a little band that came out of there in the early 60s called The Beatles. Finally, my favorite headline of the week is from Euronews. Ready? Portuguese Parliament votes to legalize limited euthanasia. Not really sure what they're trying to say here. I didn't read the article all the way through. But I'm thinking, what, you can kill yourself for a limited period of time, but after that you come back to life? Or is euthanasia limited to a few people? Is there a waiting list? So many questions. So few answers. That's it for this week. Thanks for giving me some of your precious time. I'm Andy Valver. This is The Continental Drift. See you next week.